Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. Um, I love talking to creative people about how they do their thing and how they keep it going through all the highs and lows. And this week, my guest is a multi-hyphenate. She does a lot of things. She wears a lot of hats. Her name is Kathleen Antonia Tarr. She lived down here for a while, but now she's back in San Francisco. She's an actor and a singer, and she made a documentary, and she's also a lawyer. And she went to the share auction with me, so we talk about that. This was a few years ago. But anyway, she's a lot of fun, and I was so glad she was able to make time to do the podcast when she was down in L.A. on a recent visit. Um, Before we get to that, I want to encourage you to go to DennisAnyone.net. There you can see pictures that go with some of the podcasts. You can donate to my virtual tip jar that helps me pay for the expenses that come up with the podcast. I really appreciate it. And I want to give a shout-out to Warren in Toronto for a donation recently. Um, I really appreciate it. Um, I also want to get a plug-in for my Patreon group. Uh, If you go to patreon.com and search for Dennis Anyone, you can join my Patreon club. And once a month, I post a new episode of completely exclusive content. And you can get that for as little as a dollar a month. So, And I've got some fun stuff coming up. I've been collecting uh, different things to put in that, that special episode. So watch for that. Um, what else? We had the mismatch game here in LA. If you were in LA and you came, I am really grateful. Uh, that was a lot, that was a, a fun weekend. And, um, I guess that's about it. Without any further ado, here is Kathleen Antonia Tarr. Hey there, I am here in my own condo in North Hollywood, California with a friend that I haven't seen in I don't know how many years. I don't know either. Actor and uh, thinker and lawyer (laughs) and all-around cool lady, Uh, Kathleen Antonia Tarr. Hi. Now you're breezing in, you're you're living in San Francisco, you're you're breezing in for one day (laughs) to steal Enzo's heart. I know, I wish y'all could see him, oh my god. I know, he loves you. Oh, I love Enzo. Um, So you came in for one day to do a radio interview. Yes. And I don't, I know you a little bit from a few years ago, we hung out, we were friends for a while. Mm-hmm. I was reading your bio. I didn't know you were a lawyer. <laughs> Just now sitting here, you told me you used to play football yes. and almost like did it like professionally or, mm-hmm. and, and you're down here doing an interview about football or, or sports. <laughs> yes, about sports. I know. So many people. Well, and we met at the share auction. We, so and that's exactly- another, that's a whole other passion. <laughs> what do you remember about that share auction? I remember that, uh, we were walking through and there was this hideous armadillo snake lamp that yeah. I've always wanted to know how much it sold for because it was so ugly. But then I remember we saw Jennifer Tilly. Was remember there at the share auction? And she knew you, but at first I was looking, I'm like, oh my God, it's Jennifer Tilly. And then she walked over and said some people had asked uh, her, she was Meg Tilly. Oh, yeah. And she said, no, I'm her sister. And they said, well, can we get your autograph? So she gave it to them. And then as they were walking away, she heard them say, well, at least we got the autograph of the sister of someone famous. Oh. Do you remember that? I don't. I remember Jennifer Kelly being there, but I don't remember that. That's a vivid that memory. A, well, I thought it was such a stinger yeah. for her. Like, wow, how rough. Well, Cher was doing an auction. She was mm-hmm. auctioning off stuff, and yeah. all of the stuff was available to look at at Sotheby's, right? Yeah. And a bunch of us went, and I remember the Bob Mackie sketches mm. of the things. I thought that w- those were like the coolest things. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was fun. So anyway, you're here doing an interview about sports. Yeah. So what, you played football all growing up? All growing up I played football, and because I was female, never allowed to play organized with the same boys I was playing with on weekend. I mean, and that's through college I was playing with the boys and men, uh, and I was a defensive tackle. I was very good, and I always had dreams as a kid of playing in the NFL. It was never going to come to pass, though, of course, because if you don't play college ball, that's not going to happen. Um 
How, how big is football for women, even in college? Is there are, Do a lot of schools have teams? Is it a... Is it a thing? Oh, my God. Well, our high school was horrible. So I remember as far as, like, women's football went. But it was back, you know, I'm a little bit older. So I think there are more opportunities now for girls to play on organized teams. But they had uh, the... And I was a defensive tackle, so it didn't make any sense. But then they said you could play powder puff. And I was like, what? Even the title, I don't want to yeah, play. Yeah, already I'm out. Like, I'm out. And then I was, would love something called powder puff. <laughs> Sign me up for powder puff. <laughs> but there's, you know, this whole flag thing. And I'm like, yeah. what is a defensive tackle? So you were playing full-on tackle. Yeah, like You're, flag. Yeah, anyway. W- did it, like, was it empowering? Was it, like, did it get out a lot of aggression? Or what did you like about playing football and specifically that position. Yeah, I loved football because it was the great equalizer. It was like there every other sport because I played ba- I played a lot of sports with boys like yeah. baseball and um, you know volleyball or whatever else it was, basketball and things like that. But football it was like you are intentionally supposed to throw people into the ground. <laughs> right? Right? There is no I mean you could clip somebody, you could do a bunch of things, but it's like that is actually what the goal is. Right. So if you are in the ground, you have lost in that moment. Right. And so it was this great equalizer of you can cuz I remember my first game that I played, I went to Berkeley undergrad. We had this pickup game on a Sunday, the first Sunday, and people were picking teams. I actually carried, like, six of my floor mates down the hallway, right? So, like, the night before. So, one of the guys from my floor kept telling the people who were picking, pick her, pick her, pick her. But, of course, they didn't. Why did you carry them down the hallway? Were they drawn? No. no, I mean, just for, you know, shits and giggles. Okay. So, I mean, first it was like I was carrying one guy, and yeah. then the other guy jumped on the other guy, and okay. then they just kept piling on and until finally, like, at the sixth person, I finally collapsed, right? Because I was right. always really, really strong. And so, um, he was like, pick her, pick her, pick her. So, finally, I was down to the last two. So, I got picked in the last two, so it wasn't that great. But I ended up being on the other side, this quarterback on the other side was someone who had taunted me all week about how... Girls can't play football, right. yada, yada, yada. He and this was, was a mixed group of men and women. Well, and men and one woman. And you. Okay, men and you. <laughs> men and All men. right. Um, but he had been a high school, like, standout quarterback. Yeah. He was going to show me. And then some other guy on the way there was like, oh, you're the cheerleader. And I loved that. Like, what they didn't get is that that actually made me look forward to the game right. even more. So it ended up the one who taunted me about being a cheerleader, cheerleader on the line across from me. The other guy, quarterback on the other team, I was like, this is some beautiful stuff. So I just plowed through the guy. And Did I you think, take him down? Yeah, and sacked that quarterback like five times during that whole game, including like taking him out once on the field. And in the field, he punched me when I was tackling him in the field. He literally punched he you. He literally punched me, but I literally didn't feel it because it's football. So you get jostled. I didn't notice. But one right. of my teammates noticed and was so angry and started screaming and screaming. And I talk shit, uh, just like any other football player. But I was like, no, 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 don't worry about it. I said, if he hits me and I fall find out about it, I'll take care of it. And everyone's like, ooh. That's a like good it was, little, yeah. I mean, yeah. it was pretty, it was pretty. He was chagrined. Yeah. I yeah. think. But that's why I love football. Yeah. It was like, there's nothing you can do if you're Do you ever get really hurt? Um, I broke my finger playing football so much that it snapped all the way back. Oh, God. And everybody, oh God. and everybody. People just drove off the road <laughs> listening to that. And everybody heard it. Like, so oh. everyone stopped. And then they oh looked and it was literally like pointing back like this. So I went, and snapped it back, and I'm like, yeah, let's go, because that was who it was. And the next day, actually, this is a funny story. So the next day, it hurt so much. <laughs> so I go to the, you know, campus clinic or something, and I'm like, I broke my finger, so they're putting the splint. But I apparently had hickeys on my neck, so they from, thought I had, from my boyfriend. So they thought yeah. I had been in a tussle yeah. that they were strangle marks instead. So it was the most awkward. I'm like, actually, it's just football. Yeah. But I appreciate that you're looking out in yeah. case I had been accosted. That's 
a lot. But these are... It's a lot of information. Yeah. All right. Do you like playing now? Do you like watching now? Are you still a fan of that? I'm not so much a fan. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, part of it, I just sort of drifted away when there became too many protections for quarterbacks and everything else. Like, it wasn't the sport I grew up on. Right. And so watching it, I'm like, eh, it's a little too delicate now. It's got... uh, Because I was going to say, are you concerned about brain injuries and all that stuff? And you're like, it's too too delicate. Well, no. I think, you know, I may have completely dodged a bullet with all of the misogyny of keeping me out. Because frankly, uh, yeah, the reason I did not play, I was drafted to the Women's American Football League in around 2001, and uh, I'd already had a few concussions, and so my doctor's like, look, if you really, really, really want me to give you clearance, I will otherwise, and so we talked about it, I was like, okay, I probably shouldn't, so I may have dodged a bullet in not playing pro ever because of all the... Because of all the... the We're starting to know now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know you as an actor. Yeah. Um, You've been in shows like House and other episodics, and then... I cast you in my short film, and yes. you weren't able to do it. Do you remember that? I do. I was so upset. I'm I don't so remember upset. why you weren't able to do it. I mean, I the schedule, was, you were out yeah, of town. shooting something else, I think, was what All it right. was. Yeah. I All know. Right. I'm like, I, meh. But your thing is more stage. Do you like doing stage more than television, or is it all of it like, the same? I like all of it. I frankly, I think I like on camera better, yeah. uh, because it's done. Like, yeah. <laughs> stage is really fun, but you actually really have to commit your time to doing You have to, to keep stage. doing it over and, and over. Yeah, and, which is okay, but it's like, right. I don't have unlimited time. So, it may have even been a stage show that took yeah. me out of your project. So that might like, have been right. That might be why I'm so bitter about stage. I know, it just ruined <laughs> your chance to be in my first I know. Uh, 13 minute short film. I know. Um, I also didn't know you went to Harvard Law. Yeah, I did. So, when you, 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 but you're not working now as a lawyer, and I don't think you have since I've known you that I, or, or is that still no? I don't think you we, do? I don't think that overlapped. I mean, on the on occasion, I will because I started out when I was practicing law actually by representing disabled vets, trying to get claims from the VA. Right. Um, so I will still actually help the occasional vet get their claims started, right. which means just crafting their letter for them. Like I don't represent them and I don't submit it on their behalf, but the record is really important with veterans and disability claims. And so most attorneys don't step in until it's down the road. Right. And so nobody's you get them there. Started. Yeah. Get them started so that the record is really good for them once they get it to the point, if they have to, where it's on appeal so that attorney steps in so that it's actually more winnable. How do they find you? I think to do that. I think people, it's just word of word mouth. mouth. People know that I've done it. And so if it's someone in their family or something, they say, talk to her. Talk to me about the dual directions of performing, acting, yeah. and law, which is like, that's the thing your parents tell you to do if you want to have security and <laughs> right. be a lawyer. So yeah. what what was it about performing that sort of pulled you that direction after you'd gone through law school? Yeah, well, I've been practicing for about, I think, four years or so when my, actually, my Muay Thai partner in my kickboxing class, so she, uh, who was a stripper, so she said, come to my acting class, you work too much. And so... So you hadn't really done, like, acting in high school and... Not really. It wasn't really a thing. I mean, my parents are scientists, so I think okay. they raised us a little bit as an experiment. I say as me, my older sister, and myself. So I think that's part of what they did. Yeah. We were experiments, so they put us in everything. So we right. had dance. We had all these other creative uh, forms of expression and music and all that other stuff growing up. So I think there was... It was in me. Yeah. But I hadn't really thought of you it as You hadn't pursued a, it. Yeah, no. Not at all. And so I went to the acting class. The acting coach... 
I guess, saw something. And you said, you know, if you're working on set or something, it's like you're in a class. Why don't you just go audition for something? And I think the first thing I booked were these Mattel jingles, uh, singing for, like, the Barbie VW Beetle right. bug and, and these other, and Polly Pocket and things like that. And I just had so much fun and was not having, at that point, as much fun practicing law. So I think it was a couple more years. And then I said, and as you pointed out, the stability, right? Yeah. It was saying to myself, okay, Keep this liquid floor. As long as you have this liquid floor of capital, yeah. then don't worry about it. Like, don't panic. And what's your liquid floor? Law? Uh, no, it's just actual money in the bank. Yeah, okay. okay. As long as you have this much money in the okay. bank, do not worry about right. whether the jobs are coming or whether they're not or, like, whatever's happening. You just right. relax. Like, because, of course, I would have had to talk myself through that because all right. of a sudden missing the regular paycheck and the benefits and all that, it was like, ah! But I was like, okay. And that actually kept me going for quite a long time until then I ended up now teaching at Stanford. And what are you teaching now at Stanford? I teach in the program in writing and rhetoric. So I teach first and second years, freshman and sophomore, uh, academic research and writing and oral presentation of research. And then last year I started teaching advanced courses as well. And the advanced courses around the entertainment industry and equity and employment discrimination. Right. Because you also did a documentary where you were talking about opportunity in the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. And you said you it's available. I was interviewed. I don't yeah. know if I said anything of interest. Yes. But um, it, tell me the name of it again and if people can see it online. Yeah, Getting Played, Who's Playing You. So it okay. is online, YouTube, What the Producer. And that was my first film. So production value, well, <laughs> but content, good. It actually got honorable mention 2010 in the International Black Women's Film Festival. So, there you go. Yeah. What's the thrust of the, the piece? I know it has to do with these issues that we're talking about. But. Yeah, well, I, I suppose in some, the, the quick version is that it's helping audiences understand how the sausage is made, right? right? That we appreciate, and I'm one of them, right? So I'm audience as well, and I love watching something, but I have no idea, at least I didn't you know, right. back in the day, I had no idea how it was made. So don't know all how scripts are chosen, how they're pitched, how actors, how the packages come together. I had no idea about that. Right. So if, I think for a lot of people watching it, you just think these are the only stories that were ever pitched, this is what's been made, and that's it. But instead, there are a lot of these, unfortunately, really discriminatory steps that go into choosing a script, right? right. Or rewrite it so that it's, oh, it's, no, we can't have a gay character. We have to have a straight character. Or we ha- can't have a Latina. We have to have a white male. You know, so there, these things get changed along the way, even the, from those scripts that get chosen, to end up skewing who gets seen. But even more so because of the lawyer hat, it's like who gets hired. Like, you should yeah. be able to have an equal opportunity to get a job, and that's not what happens in the industry. I know from some of the the writing panels and, and workshops that I've taken that as a writer, unless you specify certain things, mm-hmm. casting people are probably going to go white or male. Or In other words, mm-hmm. you sort of have to, as the writer, put, put it in mm-hmm. if you want something else. And, and not always, but, but I... I was sort of um, uh, exposed to this idea that people just assume it's going to be this one thing unless you unless mm-hmm. you specify otherwise, unless that comes from somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. But even along the way, even when you have it as something else, I think when Mario and Melvin Man Peebles were making Panther, which is about the Black Panthers, right. and the studio they had already been working with said, well, you have to put in a part for someone like Tom Cruise. Like, they... <laughs> To lead the Black Panthers. Right. And so there's this fabrication of these characters. I think Danny Glover recently had that with his story of Toussaint Louverture, the leader of, you know, the Haitian uh, in the French Revolution. And um, and they literally said, where are the white heroes? So it becomes this kind of ugly uh, racism and also, you know, how often do we see people with disabilities and things like that. Like, right. it just becomes this whole very narrow sense of what 
audiences want to see. I think they justify it that way, but it's also, I think it's just what they want to see. Like, I'm not sure it's always about audiences because the audience seems to have proven that they'll go see a good story, a good right. movie. And I'm not sure where the justifications are at this point. Is there something you've seen recently that made you think, okay, we're, this is a, this is something that's in the right direction or where you, what kind of were, 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 uh, pleased with what you saw or the opposite, something where you're like, <laughs> oh my God, it's not getting any better. Oh my gosh. You know, what immediately popped to mind, I was at a fiction meet science conference in Toronto, and I actually had not seen Hidden Figures. So right. I saw it on the flight on the way back, because someone at the conference actually made this statement about Hidden Figures would have been just the same story if it had been about lawyers instead of scientists. And everybody in the room was like, no, it wouldn't have. But part of Hidden Figures, the reason I didn't go see it was I felt like there were too many tropes involved in it and I didn't like the Al Harrison character Kevin Costner Kevin Costner because it's a composite character right Right. so he desegregates the bathroom but that's not that didn't happen in real life Catherine Johnson just went to the bathroom that was nearest to her there wasn't this running back and forth so I finally saw it and I was I hate it and I know so many people loved it and I just there's too many and I think it's just because now I can't watch productions without knowing everything that goes into them anymore so I can't just sit Right, and you can't like, take that hat off and I just can't watch take it. it. Off. Yeah, and that movie, I, I enjoyed it, but I felt like it was it was it had a very mainstreamness yeah. to it um, that felt a little I don't know. It, there weren't there weren't a lot of details that I felt oh that's so quirky it feels true or mm-hmm. something like it mm-hmm. felt very uh, mainstream. Yeah, a yeah. little bit. Yeah. yeah, I did love Taraji. I liked her performance a lot. Um, but I, I get it. Yeah. I get it. Now, talk to me about getting into the teaching thing as opposed to the acting or, and, and the, the filmmaking and stuff like that. How did the teaching sort of come to you? Yeah, I, I think since college, it's been very much about me trying to find this key that changes how people relate to each other. Right. And so it's just this through line that goes through everything. And so at first it was thinking, okay, if I go into law and I do this civil rights, you know, human rights You've always work, had this sort of mission. Yeah. And so, and then I thought, well, this is working out really well for my individual clients, but it is not changing. And as you, I mean, you can see the headlines about veterans yeah. oh and gosh. what's happening. Like things are not changing systemically. So a while I was just like, okay, all right. So it's, yes, I'm helping these individuals, but I'm really trying to change systems. So how can I do that? So entertainment industry, which I still think is it, because narrative pulls down walls of like resisting, like when people know they're trying, someone's trying to persuade them of something, they put up a lot of rigid walls. When they hear narrative, those walls go down. So right, this it's is powerful. The, yeah, this is the way to get to people to be like, Hearts and minds. like this is your, like this person is you, right? Their right. struggle is yours. Like that's the thing to go for. And with all the discrimination that courts kind of look at but don't really do much about, yeah. I thought, well, this is great, but there's no way to get into this to actually change how people are perceiving each other in any way that's going to be like quickly impactful. Yeah, anyway. I hear you. And I thought, well, if I can influence the leaders of tomorrow, right? Like if I can get to them and have them think critically about these things and actually send them out to sort of be this army right. of people. Brainwash them basically. Basically. Yeah, like yeah. make them my army right. so that they're like, yes, yes, my right. struggle is your struggle. Everyone right. like, and get them to bring that into whatever forms of leadership. And so that's how I ended up at Stanford. How do you get a job at Stanford? Do you, do they put up something and you apply or yeah. how, do, how do you hear about it? So you just apply. I just did. That's great. Yeah. I just, well, I think anyone should like, like if yeah. you see something you want, just go for it. All, all you can do is learn but more. But it was posted for the next somewhere. Time. Yeah, it was posted, and you did it. Yeah, that's cool. Did you have a bunch of interviews? Yes, they. It was first Skype, 
and then in person, and yeah. So a they, lot. yeah, they they recruit you and look at you and scrutinize you. Do you have to grade papers? I do. That's what I always think about when people are teachers. <laughs> I'm like, oh, is that a drag or is it okay? It is okay. I won't say it's a complete drag. Uh, it is. It's okay. It's wonderful when a student has really push themselves and gone beyond. So since I teach argument, I teach them to become a source, to not just give me some research paper, but I want to hear what they have to argue. What is your perspective? So when a student hits Do that Do they talk the about park, their own experiences? Not so much, but they, right. they have to base it in research. So right. they have to see something that other people aren't seeing and fill in the gaps in these landscapes and, right. and do that. And when students really take off with that, it's such a beautiful thing. I have, And I've had a couple of amazing students. One student who, after my course, because I teach the sophomore level course, which does oral presentation of research as well, is it's called A Rebel with a Cause, The Rhetoric of Giving a Damn. So it's not very subtle in where, where, I'm, where I'm going. But he really embraced it, and he started teaching CS for Social Good at Stanford the quarter after my course. Some of them have... What is CS? Um, computer science. Okay. Yeah, so he started doing this whole social good and so he, programming he, he's, it's yeah. The brainwashing worked. It worked. That's awesome. <laughs> I mean, he came to me pretty awesome yeah. already, so I can't really take credit. But that but, makes it a feels good. Yeah. One left to help refugees in Syria. Yeah. Like people like they, and so when they do that, I'm so excited. I love that. Yeah. What ways do you look at the young people and go, Oh, it's, they're so different than when I was that age. Is it technology? <sighs> what is it? Or, or are they different? I think they are, but of course, I was a kid when I, I right, well, was you're a kid when you're when a kid. I was thinking of that uh, yeah. environment. But I, I do think in conversation with people in some of the research, for one, they I heard this recently that some of the research shows they're actually less addicted to, say, cocaine or you know booze or something else because they're addicted to their devices. That makes so sense. They've become, I believe that. Yeah, I do too. And watching them, they've come, become completely addicted. I always wonder, can we break that by telling them if you put your face down too much, your skin actually starts to hang? Right. Which is actually also part of, yeah, like, is there any way to have that put down? And then someone was talking to me about the trophy generation that's coming into college now. Where, everyone, the got, where everyone got a trophy? Just for, for showing just, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and how those expectations have completely changed. Have you seen that in your yeah. Yeah, some, yeah, 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 where they just don't really think they have to try. Yeah. And it's very, it's And they should, why did I get a B plus when oh I should Oh my have? God, yes. Do people challenge their grades? Yeah, I think I'm a pushover though. I don't think I would be strong in saying, you did B minus work. <laughs> well, I'm thinking of, you know, citizens in the future. Yeah. I think that's part of the reason I'm such a, like a hard yeah. ass on it is because of, you have to be a good citizen. I cannot put you into the world to be a dickhead. Like, yeah. that's part of my job is to not add to the clutter that's out there. And so, but yeah, I had a student once shake a paper in my face because he got an A- minus on it. Yeah. Furious. Just shaking it. Shaking it. Like, he couldn't even speak. What's your Just favorite part about being a teacher or that kind of a teacher? I think, I think when students come back to me terms later, years later, and are talking about what they learned in my class... I had especially one student who hated my class because he felt like it completely turned his worldview over and he did not enjoy the experience at right. all. So while he was in the class, 
he gave me a lot of shit. <laughs> he was really hard. I'm sorry. I hope no, we can totally swear. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's like he was really, really hard. You know, slammed me on the evaluations. Was really belligerent about things. And then I saw him on campus, maybe two quarters later, and he was like, "Doctor Tar, Doctor Tar, Doctor Tar." He's like, "Oh my god, I am just figuring out what you were trying to teach me. I am so sorry for being an asshole in your class." Right. Like, and just talked about everything that he learned and how his eyes had been open to things. And it, that was amazing moment. I love that. What do you think of this trend that you see talked about in relation to campuses, which is that dissenting voices aren't even allowed to come and speak at the campus, mm. or some of like the Ann Coulters and mm-hmm. the, uh, the guy that, the, with the long name, the gay guy, but you know, like the, the where like student groups are protesting and they don't come, or mm-hmm. I don't know that that sort of uh, issue. Yeah, I mean, I think it's. it's all speech, right? Protest is speech. So if you want to protest, that's completely fine. Right. But I do think we are not handling people who disagree with us very well right. in this society. We're unwilling to hear or understand where people are coming from. Like, we don't try to understand perspectives at all. We just try to shut it down. And that's, I think, from everybody, yeah. which is really unfortunate. Because I think what it goes to is a lack of interest in thinking. Yeah. Which is my main concern. Right, exactly. Like, I, I don't really, want to be challenged at all. At all. Like, I actually really want you to be curious about someone who disagrees with you. Like, I want you to go, oh, this is really interesting. Where does I that come from? I want to know what want, you're... Yeah. yeah, I want you to be curious. This is what I want from people. And yeah. instead... So for me, every time I hear about something like that, I just think it's people not wanting to think, which for me goes the, the impending idiocracy, which I yeah. can't... I just can't abide. Like, it's yeah. like, we can't... We have to... Do something, right? Yeah. I get it. How does your acting background help with teaching? Do you ever feel like when you're lecturing that you're kind of on and I'm going to nail this part and here comes <laughs> my big, I'm going to hammer this thing home? Does it feel like a performance? I don't know that it so much feels like a performance, but there's definitely the performer in there right. who can improv well, right? Like right. improv, I think, is the biggest part of it, right? Improv comes in, being able to project to be able to use nuances and voice and tone, gestures, right. like all of those things are very much a part of being trained in acting. Now, you were in L.A. for a while. How many yeah. years were you here? I don't even know. What was it like? Did you, what do you, when you look back at my L.A. time, Yeah. was it? Uh, way too skinny, <laughs> like not eating. I mean, I probably never looked that way because I'm a football player. It's hard for me to really get super tiny. So for me, skinny is a size six, right. which I know in this town it's a size zero, right? But uh, yeah, definitely having more body Body issues. Body here. issues. Wow. Definitely more. And I was I was probably like twelve percent body fat or something. And still obviously pretty sizable because of my uh, musculature, but still pretty sizable. And I was talking to this writer director who's putting together some some pitch and he said, you know, if you lose weight, you're gonna have this town on fire or something. And I was like, if I lose I can't lose weight, I eat like a piece of lettuce and journal about it like later. Like <laughs> There's right. no way that I'm going to be able to lose any more weight. And I'm sorry, I think that actually was a joke I stole from Amy Schumer right there. Give all credit okay. to Amy Schumer. But, um, and, then, and then it came the whole thing with him, too. It became this whole thing of, oh, let's go play tennis. Let's talk more because I really think this character would be good for you. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, come back to my hot tub. And I was like, no. Yeah, and and I feel like going. that was a lot of it, which is like, no, I'm not going to do that. I know people get jobs that way. And then people don't get jobs that way. But right. it's also like, I'm not at all going to be that person. So I think over time, when I thought about what I would have to do, <laughs> or what I thought I would have to do in order to get like a big part, yeah. I was like, no. Not so much. Which is not Why to snub house. Which is not to snub house. Because I really loved working with the people yeah. at house. Yeah. 
Hugh Laurie, one of my favorite folks, mostly because we talked about his book. Yeah. I don't know if you know, he wrote a book called uh, Gun Seller. I you guys should that. read it. It's suspenseful. It's exciting. Is it a novel? Yeah. Okay, cool. It's super exciting. I was literally on the edge of my couch, like, reading the last few pages of it. It's just super exciting. And I really liked him. I really liked House. I was really hoping that was going to go somewhere else because I was playing Cuddy's nanny. Yeah. And I was really hoping... And I, But I was a blur. Like, I shot one episode... Ended up so much of it on the floor, and I was really this blur. And because I'm sizable, and, and Lisa Edelstein is not, my right. husband, when I came on screen, he goes, it looks like Gandalf next to a hobbit. That's what your <laughs> husband said? Yes. <laughs> Thanks, honey. I know, but it was true. Right. Uh, and then, like, I shot this other whole thing, and then I'm sure non-disclosure can't tell what the scene was about, but shot this whole other thing, ended up being completely dumped Call back a third. Like, it was just such bad luck with it that I thought, like, Fuck you know this. what? Yeah. If I can't make it with these beautiful people on house, because I really did like everybody. They were yeah. so great. I was like, if I can't make it on this with three times <laughs> it not being a charm, I was like, I, it's probably not going to happen. Right. And so then I moved back to the bay. And it, but it did, you didn't, you accepted it. It didn't feel like. It felt like a bummer, but I wasn't someone who'd grown up with that as my only that dream. Was, that wasn't your yeah. dream from, so you, it was from like, when you were, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I would have loved to do it, yeah. but it was like, I would have loved to play in the NFL. I would have yeah. loved a lot of things. So I'm like, well, this thing isn't going to happen. That's all right. Um, when did you get married? I got married in 2010, I think. Right, right, right. After I met you. When I met you, you were single. <laughs> I was single. That's I was single forever. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to write a book about it for yeah, everyone else did you, did you meet him up there? I did. What what would the book be about? Like, what's well, your advice? It'll be my advice for people who... It's a dating book about... Because I had horrible, horrible dates. Like, I don't know if we ever talked about... I, I don't even have time to get into how bad right. some of them are, but one of them... <laughs> the punchline is, went out on a date with a guy in San Francisco, good friend of mine in LA, calls me next day. He's really upset. He thinks his boyfriend's cheating on him. Turns out I went out with his boyfriend. Like, the date... I had was with his boyfriend wow. the night before. Wow. Yeah. Gay porn star too. Like, this is a great story. Ooh, would I but, know him? Do you know his porn oh name? Oh my God, Jake Tanner. Wow, Jake Tanner. Back that in the his, day. That was his porn yeah, name. Yeah. All right. Buckshot video, whatever. Okay. Like, back Gosh, in the day. People you would know really the know him. He totally cleaned, like, I know his real name too, and I'm not going to out him with his real name, but okay. he totally cleaned up his presence on the internet, by the wow. way. So, if anyone ever wants to know, they need to find him because he cleaned it all up. That's an amazing accomplishment. I know. Because. Yeah, that 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 stuff gets shared and shared and shared alike. <laughs> I know, and I'm sure people know who he is. Right. But if you knew, you knew, but you wouldn't be able to necessarily find all of the goodies. So, what would your advice be? About well, dating? my advice was because it was all about this horrible horribleness. Uh, because there are many, many bad dates yeah. like that one, and I didn't get married until after I was forty. So, or be like, just you know, <laughs> number one, I had to wait for my husband to be born because he's, he's a bit younger than I am. Um, that's always a good. Yeah, like, that's a really good excuse. He doesn't exist <laughs> I, yet. He's not here on earth. How much younger is he? 13 years. Okay. Yeah. And, but the other part is I actually, toward the time that I met him and was going and then ended up dating him, we actually met in a, I was tutoring math at a okay. high school where he started teaching math. So we met that way, but I actually had started doing this dating application that I was like, I can, I clearly cannot trust my judgment. So I'm going to have to put out a dating application. So I'm actually going to write a book about the date, this particular dating application. So you're filling it out or is it they an have, app they like have to for fill the it out. No, it's okay. a, it's like a filling out. And I had a person I called my concierge. She had to review it. You had to pay a fee before you could go out on a date with me. Like there was this whole, did you actually do that? I actually did it. I was like, I'm not going on a date unless someone else approves it. Because so there's, clearly, there's, a, there's a handling fee? Just there for the, was just an application fee. How many? 
<laughs> I like that because no matter what happens, you come out a little bit ahead. Right. Well, I have what, to... How much is the application fee? $75. <laughs> how did you get away with that? You, somebody says, hey, would you like to go have coffee sometime? And you're like, yes. But you have to fill out this application and there's a $75 handling fee. Well, my husband, when he saw it, he was I, like... You literally I gave know. this to men. Yes. And he was like, this says go away. I'm like, I know it does because I think that's really what I'm after. I'm like, I just don't want to... called you out. He did totally call me out. And he was awesome, too. He was awesome about the whole thing. Like, he actually had a in-person interview with my concierge rather than filling out the whole thing. He's like, I'm not filling this out, but I will talk to you. So, he had this whole thing. But he went through that whole process. Did he pay the $75? No. Did anybody? I think he got a... Yes. He got a waiver? I think he might have... I don't actually know. I think he might have gotten a waiver. He got away with it by just having his interview suddenly over dinner when we were hanging out with my friend already. Yeah, he was wow. sneaky. All right. Works yeah. out. Did anybody really do it? Yeah. Fill out the fee and give you the $75? Yeah, I never went out with any of those people. <laughs> How many people did they... I have no That's idea because I told her not to tell me. So I actually okay. don't really know. So I only know from two people who were interested. Yeah. And I was like, Somebody no. said, I'm interested. Hey, you want to do something? And I was like, like, here. See my concierge. Yeah, see my concierge. <laughs> Yeah, and I heard stories from her because that because I heard stories from her about people who tried to negotiate something else. Like, of course. I know Kathleen really likes football, so what instead of the fee, what if I take her to an NFL game? Like, they tried to work around sure. the thing, and the I don't know how she resolved how things. She Clearly, that didn't happen though because I didn't go to any football. Games. But you <laughs> met your husband. She must have been like, no, you have to. Be. Yeah, but I met my husband. Now. Wow, how many pages is this application? Oh my god, it's many. It's many too many. If it's nine pages. <laughs> Was there an essay question? There was an essay question. There's there are math problems. There. Are all... What were you looking for within it? I think. I mean, in part, I think I was just like, you know what? I think in part, I was just like, I really don't want to go out on any more bad dates. Like, I really just don't want to go out on any more bad dates. But at the same time, I do know that I need to have someone who reads. Right. Because <laughs> I literally went out on a date with someone. He was really nice, and he made me dinner. And I walked into his house, and there were no books anywhere, like zero books anywhere. And I. I said, where are your books? Because you're the only person that ever asked me. I'm like, I'm the only person to ever ask you why you have no books anywhere in your house. And he had a few cookbooks above, like, his stove. He's like, that's it that I have. Um, there were other problems on that date <laughs> that led to not happening. But there were things that I realized I just can't, like, I'm, I know myself. Yeah, I'm so not it's worth the 75 bucks to know. Yeah, like, I'm not going to tolerate someone who can't do simple algebra. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, I already know that even if I think they're really nice I'm just not going to be able to overcome it. So it needs to just be an application. Let's just get it done with. If you can do these things, then we can move forward. How did you know your husband was different? That was that he had a shot for the real thing? I don't even know when I thought that. But I know when we were working together, I thought he was really different because usually I'm talking about like the dating stuff and it's hilarious and everything. But he had this moment where in listening to this story with other people and he was like, I am really sorry. Like it was a, this sincere, I am really sorry that you've had those experiences. Like he really tapped into what was probably the emotional consequence of some of these humorous, hilarious right. stories. But he was like, you're a person. He saw the other side of yeah, it. Yeah. Like he saw me like you're a person. So these must yeah. have impacted you. I'm really sorry about that. And that for me, I didn't, and that wasn't necessarily like, Oh God, I need to be with you at that moment. But I was like, you're different. Right. Uh, and so then after that, and he's, you know, mathematician that helped because, you know, algebra is on Right, of course. He just zipped right, right. through that. <laughs> those four pages just know, flew by. Right, he just zipped by all those Oh my problems. gosh. Uh, and then he's hilarious also and very talented artistic. Like, he's just great. I love that. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. Do you miss performing? Do you miss acting and... 
I do. I mean, I, I sing still on occasion. Right. Most of those are fundraisers for sure. different organizations. I do some acting. I make my own little projects, like film little shorts and things like yeah. that. I did uh, did a couple that were in film festivals. One called Early Aliens, a told parody of the Ancient Aliens show. Like, things <laughs> things that are really What's fun. The Ancient Aliens show? Have alien you ever seen show? that? No. Oh, my God, it's ridiculous. They tie every... I mean, I love it, but they tie everything to this... Some alien theory, right? right. Like, aliens did this. Right. So... I, I, my husband and I were always making fun of what's coming next. Right. You know, feather boas were brought by alien. Like, we were just always making up a list. And so we did this whole parody together, the two of us, um, about the show. So you have to see the show because it, okay. it really is very funny. I'll check like, it out. And they take themselves very seriously, <laughs> which is why it's so funny. I've never heard of this, but it Yeah, but fun. I do miss acting. I miss being directed by other people. I miss really meaty projects. I miss deep characters. But to tell you the truth, the gigs I was getting, like selling you Cialis yeah. or Runes or something. I not remember exactly. the Alice commercial. <laughs> I know. It's like, it's not really deep. You were with a guy, right? Yes. You're yeah. In, you were in something that was Yeah, like up. a window seat. Yeah. yeah. Rubbing his bald head or whatever. Yeah. I don't remember. Yeah. 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 That's so funny. Yeah, he was a cool guy. Did anyone ever recognize you from the Cialis commercial? Yes. Well, my friends gave me the most, because of course they right. would at Cialis. Yes. So my friends gave me the most heat about the Cialis commercial, but I was in South Carolina with my aunt, and someone was across the street yelling, wow. And I was like, what is going on? And she, my aunt, like, it was going on forever. My aunt said, she's doing your prunes commercial. Because I did, the, well, I'm sorry, Sun Sweet Dried Plums. Right. right. But I did, and the only thing I say, I'm like, at this farmer's market, all I say is, wow. But apparently it made a big impression. Yeah. So people would frequently, like, go wow at me. They would, they would call Just randomly. That was your, wow. where's the beef? And I was like, that yeah. That was your catchphrase. Oh my God, yes. Where's the beef? Forgot now, about that. Do you live now in San Francisco proper or somewhere East else? Bay. In, East, East Bay. East Bay, yeah. Because everyone that I talk to from there says it's changing oh, so, it's so much different. and that it's difficult. Yeah, it's How are so you coping different. with that sort of, the, the, the expensiveness of it and yeah. the way that so many communities are kind of being driven out of the city and... Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was driven out of the city <laughs> years and years before even that and went ended up in Oakland. And my husband and I lived in uh, Piedmont for a while. And then as we were watching all the pricing going up, we thought, there is no way our landlord is going to let us <laughs> pay this rent on this place, given how much you can get. Yeah. So we, you know, around 2009, we were looking for buying property, which is why we're actually fairly far north in the East Bay, because we kept, we would bid on something. And then we get outbid by all cash, and the all cash was already forty thousand over appraisal. We're oh like, gosh. we don't have that just laying around, right. so we just kept going north and north until we found a property we could buy. So we're actually okay because we own, right? So we're fine because we are, you know, we're locked in, and you don't have we don't have an arm that's going to yeah. adjust at some point. So we're we're good, but we're watching all these people. Yeah. My librarian at Stanford because she doesn't like commuting. She's about. Uh, how much is she paying? She has a, like a 600 square foot place and 2,500 a month just wow. so that she doesn't have 600 to. square foot. Now, where yeah. exactly is Stanford? Where? Yeah, it's Palo Alto, which okay. is yeah, Peninsula Down. There you go. Yeah. When you were a lawyer, yeah. did you have a cool briefcase? Because when I, when I think of lawyers, <laughs> I think briefcases. Nice. And I was like, which one would you get? I did. I guess I had a cool brief, but it was just a standard black. Just standard, standard straightforward. Yeah, no straightforward. fuss. No, no fuss. Yeah. No. Yeah. And then, of course, lawyers always have those big rolly bags, too, yeah. for when you have all your documents. Yes. And all it, of yeah, that So stuff. you don't even have a briefcase. You just have a big black rolly bag. Yeah. How yeah. did your work with veterans affect how you process when you hear a story about the war? Or when oh, you, I mean, no. it's all very, you, there's faces to all of those people yeah. for you. How did it impact you? 
Oh my gosh. I mean, in part, and I would joke, but I almost, it's not quite, it's not a joke at all. I think that I got a little PTSD from some of the stories because I, I focused. I don't in, think that's surprising at all. No, I focused intentionally on veterans with mental health issues because I mm. thought those were the hardest cases. So I was yes. like, I want the hard cases. They don't need me for the easy case. They need me for the hard one. Right. Yeah. So I would take those on. So I'd hear these nightmare stories about what vets would see. I even got to the point during fleet week where mm. I myself would start flinching when I heard like the blue angels fly overhead. Um, now when I hear veteran stories, I just think so deeply about what people are going through and the horrors that they've witnessed and feel that they have perpetrated, right? Because that's a part of it as well. They right. feel they've done these horrible things. I just, I think it's such, we really need to be fighting so hard to never have war in any form. Like even the, the people who are now doing video game war, right? Yeah. Where they're just up there dropping bombs. They're still having issues because they're not attaching it. Oh wow, that was those right. were real lives. Like I just think we need to take it so seriously, and we definitely need to make sure they're not homeless. There are so many homeless vets. Like that is unacceptable. Yeah, it is unacceptable. And in this country, I don't. I, you know, I know the whole healthcare healthcare thing is ugh, unrolling. I can't. Even, we can't talk politics. <laughs> I, know, I won't be so able to do it. I can't do it. But there are things that that don't make any sense in the way that we're even conducting things. So for example, if we had just universal health care, if we just had that here, you get rid of the work comp system, you get rid of the veteran system, you end up getting rid of all these really bureaucratic, burdensome, costly systems. It costs so much less than because now you can be a disabled vet, you could be someone with a work injury, and you don't have to go through this whole process to right. get care, you just get care. Yeah. There's so many ways you could save money, and people aren't thinking about any of that because they have all these agendas with who deserves and who doesn't. Like, everyone deserves subsistence. Let's just get over it. Like, my worst enemies deserve subsistence, right? What was the most rewarding part of that? Would it, was it the way they would, what they would say afterwards or seeing something go in a, in a different way? Or, like, when you look back, you're like, oh, that really made it all worth it. I think... Overall, I would say, because I never took a fee from my clients, right. so since attorneys do, and I understand why attorneys have to, right? I, they got to buy I, cool briefcases. <laughs> it's like, they, you know, they need They're not making $75 too, an application on dating either. <laughs> that's right. That's why I didn't have yeah. to. Um, <laughs> it's like, I have this other side income. I don't need your, your money. But I can't I think, believe that you did that. Anyway, okay. <laughs> but I think the part that I really loved was... Because whenever you're an attorney and you're doing a case, when you take a fee, the amount that you get is taking from whatever was supposed to make this person whole. Yeah. So they're never whole. So I think what I loved the most was that, and they weren't whole because it shouldn't have happened to them in the first place, but whatever they were getting from the government or from wherever, I wasn't taking part of it. So it all went to them. And I think overall that was the best feeling was like, I'm not intruding upon your wholeness right. or your, um, Compensation, And then the first case I took, and it was, it had been lost by several attorneys over decades. It was a homeless vet who'd been, I think he'd been homeless longer than I'd been alive. And I was like, he, this can't happen anymore. Let me take this case. And my bosses were like, this is not winnable. I'm like, let me take it then. I'm like, I'm doing it on a grant. Like, it's not coming out of your pocket. Can I take it? Or are you telling me not to? And they're like, okay. And I won that case. Like, very first case. Do you go before a, a judge and try things? Or how do you? You can go before an arbitrator, but... Just in general in law, most cases are one on paper, right? Yeah. That's for every, every field, like that's yeah. really, you know, except for maybe the criminal justice system, but it's all on yeah. paper. And so for him, I won on paper and that's I didn't awesome. have to, and, but I, but that was the best feeling. But I think it was just that I felt like I'm really making a difference because they were homeless, because they were deeply, uh, disabled by mental health issues that were because they were trying to either help themselves, help the family, help the country, you know, whatever their motivations were for going to the military. So that felt really good. 
All right. You picked some uh, questions from the observation deck. What's the worst <laughs> thing that's ever gone wrong for you on stage? Oh, my God. That's right. Um, the worst thing, it wasn't... Well, it was about me because I was on stage doing a musical. The entire 90 minutes, everyone was on stage the whole time. Someone in the cast beforehand had Mexican food. Oh, boy. It did not serve her well. And in the middle of the show, I literally... You know who it was. I know, I do. I'm not going to say her name, because okay. she'll be horrified. But I literally, in the middle of it, I squeezed my butt cheeks together, and I go, did I just shit myself? <laughs> it was so rank. Like, she... It came out both ends for her, and our dressing rooms were on the stage as well. They were like these behind curtains. Yeah. It was so bad. So well, I You didn't know what it was. I figured it out and when she... Like, there's one move where she spun to me in a chair, and she said something to me in character, and I went, oh my god. It was so clear. It was her, and it was so awful. And I so was, she'd actually had an accident. She'd had some major accidents wow. in costume, and we were all trying to just hold our own. Oh dinner my stand. god, yeah. that's so crazy. I know. No girls ever picked this question. Really? Tell us about when you first saw a Dirty Magazine. Oh my god! So I'm in the backyard of my house growing up, and into the yard has floated this one uh, piece of paper from some Dirty Magazine. It was called The Mighty Asses. I love that. Of course you remember the name. Well, it was like, because I, I knew who Isis was. Oh. And I was like, the mighty so, asses. So it was a twist on Isis. Yeah, and so it was It was a graphic novel, dirty graphic novel, okay. and but they were like sitting on people's faces. and right. doing, Like it was this women, this group of women who were, you know, from ancient Egypt who right. were like taking out somebody, but they were yeah. using their sexuality to, to distract guards and things. I was like, why are they sitting on their faces? Because I was only like nine or something, so I didn't understand what was going on, but I still remember it. Yeah, what did you do? Did, were you, did you show anyone, or was it like... My sister and I were both looking yeah. at it, yeah, but we, I think and we it discarded it. It was a good, it. good amount of story yeah. for just one piece of paper. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> What's the best time you ever had in a limo? Oh, wow. So, one of my friends was dating a very rich person who was flying us all by private jet to Vegas, so we'd ordered a limo to pick us up in San Francisco to take us to the airport, and the limo went up, you know, we're Buena, for people who don't know Buena Vista, but it's one of those San Francisco hills, like areas right. where the hill is serious, and the limo went up the wrong road and got stuck teetering oh at the, on its undercarriage. Like on one of those San Francisco yes. play hills. Yeah, so like it gotten up enough to get the... Yeah, so it just teetered there for hours. <laughs> Which, so you were sitting in there? No, wait, oh. we, weren't, we weren't there yet. It's coming okay. to pick us up. So like the best time the limo came, I guess, if we were literally, really right. in the limo, was afterwards now trying to figure out like where to go. But they needed to have a truck come and like lift it up and get it. Oh. Yeah, so that was good That's times. something you don't good think times. about where you look at those Right? Things. What does your family think of your success? Wow. My mother is super proud of me in everything that I do. My father, I... Don't know. He would say he wants me. He wanted me to be president or a Supreme Court justice. Like wow. this is the goal he had for me. And I'm from a science family, so as soon as I wasn't going to be a scientist, he's like, "Well, then these are your jobs." Although he's also made it made room for me to be the next Martin Luther King. Okay. So this is it. So anything short of that is not good enough. You better get cracked. I know. I'm not doing a very good job. You. I think you're doing a great job, but those are those are big. <laughs> Have you ever written a fan letter? I have. I wrote one. I think the, the funniest one was to Randy Newman. Do you remember him? Yeah, he sang um, Cars. Yeah, no. and short people don't. Short people. Yeah, 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 yeah. But he was on like Sesame Street or something yeah. or Electric Company when I was a kid, and that's how I knew him. Like I didn't know anything else. And someone had apparently, she probably teasing me as a kid, was like, "Oh yeah, Paul Newman's brother or whatever." Yeah. So I wrote him a fan letter saying, "You're so much." 
better than your brother Paul. Like, <laughs> this crazy little kid letter. And he wrote back with an autograph saying, I'm sorry you don't know who I am. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and I was like, I'm like seven. That's okay. Yeah. You gotta, at least you got a response. I got, yeah, I got a I said, I said that song Cars. That's Gary Newman. Randy oh. Newman is short people. And he yeah. writes a lot of other songs. That are yeah, and stuff. he's amazing. I know who you are yeah. now. Okay, there you go. <laughs> Have you ever been starstruck? Yes. I used to have a mad crush on Sting, mm. right, and in the police, uh, until I realized one day when he was on Conan O'Brien <laughs> that he looks like my father, and I was like, oh my god, and that ended that. Yeah. Yeah. Something about him just... just- yeah, yeah, it was because you know how at the end, before they pull away to commercial, like, yeah. there's this time where they're not on. They're yeah. just talking to the host. Yeah. And it was just about him being himself, yeah. you know, the Gordon Matthew Sumner person. Yeah. That I was like, oh my God, he looks like my dad. Okay, Oedipus Gross. Like, yeah. that was it. I'm out. Yeah, That's I'm out. It. Done. Describe your most unfortunate haircut. I had a few unfortunate haircuts. Gosh, hard to say which is the most fun. So there was one that I got in Chicago at this very exclusive boutique. I'd won some cut. And it was fantastic in the shop. And on the way home, it was humid. <laughs> and on the way home, people's eyes started getting really buggy looking at me. And I was like, what's going on? And I saw myself in the, the window of the L. And it had poofed out. It was huge. Like, it yeah. was just this enormous, enormous business. Yeah, it was a lot. It was It was. Were too you much. able to tame it once you got home and start, had to deal with it? Yeah, it went day? right back into the ponytail that it was yeah. in before I got to yeah. that place. So there you go. It was yeah. like it never happened. <laughs> Where's the strangest place you've ever been recognized? Oh, I think that was probably on the street in South Carolina. Yeah, with the wow. With the wow. With the wow. Yeah. What movie have you seen more than any other? Oh, wow. Butch Butch Cassidy. (laughs) Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid probably wins out, although Young Frankenstein may be right there with it. Yeah. Yeah. They're classic. I love movies from the 70s. Are they both? No. Butch Cassidy might have been before that. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway. um, What would you like to do in a job that you haven't gotten to do yet? Go to outer space. I'm surprised you haven't done that. I frankly. really want to. Is someone listening? Yeah. I really want to go. I want yeah. to go. You need someone, a test passenger. Yeah. On the like third test flight, though. I don't want to go on that first one necessarily. Like You know the SpaceX ones where they try to land and they blow up? I don't necessarily want to be on, right, on that one. Right away. But I do want to be on one of them. I always wonder what it was like when airline travel became something that consumers could do mm. and who were the first people in your town that was like i'm gonna go do that yeah. and did it feel like courage was required or probably i don't know so but maybe for we'll, some people they still yeah. need courage to get on a plane right i know all right how can people find out more about what you do and what you're up to i know you have a website yep i have you can find kathleen antonia she okay. has her own persona um she's the one you might that's your actor name that's my actor name she's the one you'll find on fans of kathleen antonia yeah. and, uh, on facebook and twitter Kathleen Tarr has no social media, yeah. <laughs> but you can find her at Stanford. Yeah, look her up at Stanford. Because if you're on, if you're a teacher at Stanford, you can't be tweeting bullshit. Oh my God, there are lots of people who can't be tweeting bullshit, but they do anyway, and they do. What? Okay, last question. What would you tell yourself if you were the age that your students are now? Oh my God! If you could give advice to to the Kathleen that's the age that of the students that you teach, what would you say? I think back then I just would have tried to give me better self-esteem. Yeah. Just when like, you got to find it in yourself, like what is valuable about you and you've right. got to figure that out on your own standard and anyone who's not on that team is not supporting you, then screw that. Stop trying to please them somehow. Yeah. Well, like in LA, it's interesting that when you talked about that time, you talked about 
uh, body image stuff. Yeah. And you've got so much going on. Yeah. You're good at so many different things. Yeah. Smart as hell. <laughs> And and the LA thing is still a, it, it's, it has a way of breaking you yeah from things that are actually good about you right <laughs> and then it becomes all aesthetic. What was your favorite part about LA? I, I always say last question is never the last question. It's, <laughs> it's, it's hinting. It's getting toward the last question. But I met I met so many great people. I met yeah. you like yeah. being able to hang out with people who are creative and. I just learned, I think I learned so much too about filmmaking and that sort of thing. Because like, you're a writer, right? So I met yeah. all these people who aren't necessarily on camera. And I think right. that taught me a bazillion things. And I just learned more too, I think, about my own values and what I really want to want for myself and my own life. So I think that was great. Great, great people, great insights. I love that. Do you ever think about writing a book? Because a lot of professors, that's kind of kind of goes with that sometimes. Do you ever think of that? Yeah, I mean my book will be the dating one. I, love I don't the think I'm gonna book. do I don't think I'm gonna do the scholarly book necessarily yeah. because I am so I, I'm not sure and I, I don't think it's true necessarily every field, but for for me and what I'm trying to get accomplished as far as discrimination in the entertainment industry to fix that, yeah. I don't know if it gets fixed with a scholarly book. Like right. I don't know that that is the route to take. It's more the like the Gina Davis Institute on Gender and Media and the Women's Media Summit. Right. You went to a thing there. Yeah. Gina, yeah did you meet Gina Davis? Yeah I've talked to her a bit actually about intersectionality and some other aspects. She's really open to having these conversations, which is wonderful. What does intersectionality not... mean? What is that? What do so you mean intersectionality that? means you can't really separate yeah. people's demographics. So frequently someone will say, well, we need to have more people of color or we need to have more women. And what it defaults to is we have more white women and we have more men of color. And it's like, well, some of us are women of color. You know, some right. of us are also disabled and of whatever. Um, so it's intersectionality is to acknowledge that you can't just kind of separate these categories and then check them off a list. Like, they're actual people... You need to be a little more thoughtful yeah. about it. Yeah, and the stereotypes about women of color are not the same as men of color in that same group, and they're not the same as women, right? Yeah. So, it's like we... Like, a black woman, for example, will have her own stereotypes, like, of being angry or being whatever. It's like, black men don't necessarily get that you're angry. White women don't get that you're angry, but a black woman will get you're angry. And it's like, you because there's a whole different seg set of stereotypes and tropes that go along with that. So the idea is that you have to actually acknowledge all of that crap, right. really. It's all crap. And let it inform everybody. what you Yeah, do it's like you're trying to, if you're trying to get yeah. equity, then you actually need to yeah. be thinking of all those people. I noticed, I went to a college campus a few years ago to host this little film festival event, whatever, and as I was walking there, you park a long ways away and you walk through the quad and the different things. The hormones were out of control. You could just feel it. You could just feel how horny everyone was. Uh, Do you... Is that something you notice as a teacher? I don't mean in an appropriate way, but just that there's this young... That they're at this age where... I, I was knocked out by it, literally, on the, on uh, USC campus. Yeah, well, at Stanford, they have this thing called Full Moon in the Quad. I think that's the name of it. And it literally is... The kids go into the quad and kiss each other. <laughs> it's just... Like, so there are these things that you just can't avoid knowing that they... That's a little on the nose. That's a, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. And I'm like, all I would be thinking, even, even back at the day when I was in college, all I would have been thinking was like herpes. Like, I'm not yeah. kissing all these people. I don't know where they've been. So do they go into the quad? Yeah. I'm asking for a friend who might be interested. <laughs> <laughs> so do they go into the quad and kiss... Like people they're dating, or just people. Just, just, I think randomly you just pick. It's like Mardi Gras, but without beads. I don't know what's going on because, of course, I haven't gone. Although I've right. heard that there are some instructors who go, and I'm like, why would you go to that? That's yeah. gross. And um, it's, everyone knows about it. It's everybody knows there. about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just ew. No, not for me. No, not without a 
15 page form first. That's right. You need to <laughs> fill out this form. <laughs> 70 I need a gentle Did you take damn. credit cards? I need. Did you take credit cards? <laughs> I have no need... idea if my concierge yeah. took credit cards. Yeah. She may have. Is that, do you think part of that is coming from scientists that everything was very scientific yeah. and what you understood in the, in the world and stuff? I think so. And also my father who I just adored so much as a kid. And it's that same kid thing. Like the one who's the most distant you just chase. Right. right. And so the only way to bond with my father was in the lab. He was a protein chemist. So I was literally like sequencing proteins in third grade or something and coming back talking about isopropyl ether to my instructor, like my science teacher's like, what are you talking about, little kid? And he admired Spock. Right. And so as a kid, I was like, oh, I need to be Spock, which my husband says I am a little bit in addition to being all the characters on the Big Bang Theory. He's like, right. you're just a little, <laughs> like, you're just a little... Um, too, not too separated. We would never put it that way, but I'm separated from my emotions in a way that most humans aren't. So I am a little strange in that way, but it was because my father admired Spock and I was trying to become trying Spock, to be I think, in order to make him love me more. Wow. Yeah. So do you find that you have to go, okay, intellectually, this is what I'm thinking, but you have to dig a little deeper to kind of go to that emotional place sometimes? I think it's mostly in me understanding other humans. Like, yeah. because I constantly, and I'm, it's my fatal flaw, I'm sure it'll kill me one day, but I can't quite always understand why emotions are trumping someone's ability to think right. logically. Like, and so I always have to really do some hard calculations to figure out where the emotions are going to play in. Like, if I know that I'm going to have a conversation with someone, I really have to sit down and, like, think, okay, now, what might they rea- you know, react yeah. to? It becomes this very... Because I, for me, it's like logic. Yeah, logic trumps what I'm feeling. Like, if you have something logical to tell me, even if I'm freaking out, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But being logical must have helped you when you were dealing with rejection and stuff in Hollywood because you're, you're not, you don't take it all so personally. Yeah, definitely not. Is that, is that fair? Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Awesome. I love talking to you. You you're too. You're so interesting. I am so glad. There's it's, so many different facets. It's been too long. I know. Let's not let all it right. be this long Look, again. I know. I'm so glad we got to connect. All right. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks again to Kathleen for making time on our trip down to do the podcast. Um, So this happened. I did the Mismatch Game, hosted that here in L.A. last weekend, and I want to share two of my favorite answers with you guys. Okay. So the question was, um, there's a guy in Texas, I forget his name, but he's running for governor, and he used to be uh, International Mr. Leather 2009, and he owns the Eagle Leather Bar. So he's a gay guy that owns a leather bar. Okay. And the question was something like, if he wins, he's not just going to stamp out government corruption. He's going to blank. And Sam Pancake, as this character that he does, uh, Fritzy Zimmer, I think is his last name. He's like a an old, like, Rip Taylor type gay tap dancing, uh, you know, octogenarian. Anyway, uh, so the question was, if this guy gets elected, the leather guy, he's not just going to stamp out government corruption. He's going to, and Sam said, put his fisty in Corpus Christi, which laid me out on the ground. Um, uh, maybe you had to be there, but I still think maybe you didn't. Maybe it's kind of worth a, a smile wherever you are. And um, a guy named Darren Norris, a new cast member, played Julia Child and did a really great job. And one of the questions was... Uh, Embattled governor of New Jersey, Chris Christie, caught a foul ball this week at a baseball game. He was so excited because the only thing he ever caught in his life was blank. Um, And Darren, as Julia Child said, the ice cream truck, which I think is kind of genius. So those are my two um, mismatch game anecdotes. Um, Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye. Bye.